Welcome to Bonjola, a podcast about two women, Amy and Rebecca, who each moved from the United States to Europe to become expats, Amy to Spain and Rebecca to France. We're here to share the highs, the lows, and the logistics of this adventure, encourage you to follow your own move abroad dreams, and remind you that you're not alone when the going gets tough. Enjoy! Bonjola, Amy. Bonjola, Rebecca. So, let's see. Uh... We always start with what's top of mind, and technically, I'm supposed to ask you what's top of mind today, but I'm going to tell you what's on my mind instead, because you are a nutritionist by training and by profession, and one of the big reasons I want to move to Paris is because my nutrition is lacking, and so I thought we could talk about what you have found around food with this move to Spain. And just kind of nutrition in general in Europe versus America. Sound good? Sounds great. All right. So here's my situation. I am an overworking, overcommitted entrepreneur, born and raised in the U.S., mostly in the South. So my upbringing was all the sugary cereals for breakfast, um, tended to be very overcooked vegetables. I did also have a California upbringing, so that's where I got to understand what vegetables could taste like. I'm a huge <laughs> fan of them, and I'm not a big meat eater. Okay, so that's my situation. I'm marrying a chef because I do not cook for myself. He's out of town right now, and so I tend to feed myself like tortillas, sometimes just a tortilla, sometimes smeared in sour cream and sriracha. Sometimes I go fancy and make a whole quesadilla. So... Now that you're done cringing, <laughs> oh, no, I'm not. I'm like, oh yeah, this sounds like Rebecca. You're my target market. Yeah, you I'm are exactly like most of the people I work with. <laughs> so what happened recently? So I'm moving to Paris for Damien. Yes, this is his dream. It's for the school, but it's an opportunity for me to really reshape my American eating habits. French is all about terroir and knowing where your food has come from and having better fewer good ingredients. And I'm really excited for those of us about that. Don't speak French. For those of us who do not speak French, what is terre noir? Terroir, T-E-R-R-I-O-R, I believe. It means, um, it kind of refers to the earth, like terra, the earth. It's the earth that in which you are growing something. So the terroir influences the flavors you would get like in wine because it influences the flavors that were in the grape that you made that wine from. Or the, the particular uh, bacteria in the air will influence the flavor of a cheese. So you can make the same cheese in two different parts of France, but they would actually have different flavors. Or part of the reason certain cheeses are really well known in certain regions is because the bacteria make that particular cheese and you potentially couldn't make it naturally in another part. So that's what terroir means. Which is why San Francisco sourdough tastes different than sourdough anywhere else in the United States. And that is because of the bacterial cultures in the Bay Area that you don't find elsewhere. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And Damien and I have talked about this with like the New Jersey pizza, New Jersey bagels. He is confident that it is something in the water. Mm. Hopefully something good in the water. <laughs> <laughs> but it's tasty. So I know we can't run away from our problems, right? As we're both coaches in different ways, and we know we cannot tell our clients, oh, yeah, you can run away from your problems. Our problems follow us. 
But I also do believe that the American culture and our access to different kinds of food makes it a lot harder to pursue a really high nutritious or nutrient-dense way of living. So Mm -hmm. given that you are a nutritionist and you recently moved to Europe, I would love to hear what your thoughts are and what you've experienced. There is definitely a difference. Um, And it's a multitude of, it's a multitude of things. I think by and large, there are fewer additives, preservatives, chemicals used in even the processed foods here in the European Union than you see in the United States. If you wanted to eat a junk food diet in Europe, don't worry, you can. It's still very easy to do. We have Oreos here. We have, you know, there's lots of junk food here. And so you could totally take very poor American eating habits and transfer that to Paris, including things like microwave pizza or or what have you. And, you know, I, I would... I would also say that I think given the fact that you are driven and committed to your career and you do have a very, um, if I can inappropriately psychoanalyze you, (laughs) you do have a robust attachment to work performance as an ego validation. Yes, I do. You are at risk of transplanting yourself in Paris and maintaining those habits, especially given that your husband will be in school. And I don't know, you know, how much time that's going to take. You will not have a community to lure you out unless you put yourself out there and find community intentionally to pull you away from your desk. You will simply be able to have a nicer view outside your window than you do Maybe, maybe not, because I know where you live. Actually, the trees are pretty fantastic. (laughs) But, you know, you could very easily just, you know, you could have the same experience in a different time zone. Especially because where I live right now in Seattle is one of the easiest places to eat nutritionally in the United States. So if I'm having this much trouble here, it doesn't mean I'm just going to suddenly magic my way into a different way of eating there. Exactly, exactly. You will, you know, if you were to just do a simple transfer over and not change any of your eating habits, you'd likely expose yourself to less less additives, chemicals in your processed food. But nutritionally, you wouldn't be any better. Health-wise, you know, your outcomes wouldn't likely be much better than being in the States, particularly with those added variables of of some degree of isolation (laughs) and maintaining a high-stress lifestyle. Because I literally will forget to eat. I used to eat my feelings, and that was something that you actually helped me solve. So I no longer turn to food when I'm feeling things. And I've, it's like the pendulum has swung far the other direction. And now I'm like, food, oh, did, did I need that? So like, obviously I'm alive, but it's, it's, so what happened was, have you seen that show? You are what you eat, the twin experiment that's out on Netflix. Oh God, <laughs> I knew. <laughs> so. So, so, I mean, no, it, I'm laughing because on on my own podcast, Blasphemous Nutrition, this week, I'm dropping an episode on vegan nutrition, inspired by inspired by that documentary, which I tried to watch and then couldn't, 
I couldn't get through the first episode. And then I was like, no, you owe it to your audience to watch this. You should do it. And then I, and then I waited two weeks. So I was like, you you can't force yourself to do this. It's going to be too, it's going to be too damaging. <laughs> because I have such a, such a visceral, out like inflated anger at misrepresentation and, 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 essentially propaganda. And that's what these documentaries are, is they're very convincing propaganda. Yeah. So what I did instead is I I drew from, you know, I managed, I was like, okay, just use content that you already have, use studies that you already know about, and use what little you saw when you watched, or I think the last documentary I watched was What the Hell, when that came out, which filled me with so much rage, um, so much, so much rage. That I I couldn't I I can't I can't watch I, I just can't I can't do that to myself anymore. So I I brought you know I resurrected some of the what the health stuff, like the cha- like oh god, and um, so this is top of mind, and I've been waiting for this question for a couple of weeks now. Is- <laughs> Not from you necessarily, but I know like this is coming because and I feel some- we could take an entire episode and find out what made you so angry. I don't feel like we should do that today, but I don't no, actually, what we can do is we can link to we can link to we can link to my hour long multiple rant episode in the show notes if people really want to hear me get very salty and well, very worked up. Well, I did watch all four episodes. I I definitely see the propaganda aspect, and I will make a note of one like one example for me is. They talk a lot about food replacement, you know, like vegan cheese, for example. My husband and I have uh, subscribed to Purple Carrot, which is a vegan meal delivery service. And we loved it because they didn't, they generally didn't use pretend foods. They used real food and made it delicious. And I was really impressed with Purple Carrot. And if you want to try a vegan lifestyle, great way to do it. And built in so much flavor. It is definitely possible to enjoy vegan food. But Absolutely. most of it's made terribly. The point is, a lot of the pretend foods are made from soy. And soy has tremendously bad environmental impacts on our world right now because it's yet another huge crop. So any huge crop is not ecologically sustainable. And despite all the things they talked about that weren't ecologically sustainable in the documentary, great, all, all facts. They did, of course, cherry pick their facts and they didn't go into the nuance and the challenge that is behind every single one of these stories. There's the Amen girlfriend. Now, and I, I do think they did a good job of showing how these worlds can come together, like the well-being of the farmer along with the well-being of the planet. These things can't be ignored. But my takeaway was there were a couple of gals in the study who did the study and then they actually gained fat, lost muscle. They, did, they didn't do as well as we would have expected. And, and they, they, they put that information in the documentary? Yeah. They acknowledged it? I think you might actually like it if you watch it all the way to the end. Why? Okay, so that's, that's very convincing. Um, God. But I'm going to, maybe if I get drunk, maybe what I'll do is I'll open up a bottle of wine and I'll watch the documentary and I'll film myself drunk and ranting and <laughs> I will so no not, and then and then get myself canceled from the world. 
only from the people that shouldn't be in your audience in the first place. So my takeaway was, yeah, I have, I've been at my goal weight. I've been, I had 130 pounds now for going on two years with very little effort. This was a thing that I had reached for for decades and it finally happened. And it has basically been easy, which is weird. So as a result, it doesn't have to be weird. We're taught it's weird. Well, yeah, but I neglected to think about what I actually am putting into my body. So while one can be one's target weight on tortillas, you might not have the nutrition count that you need to support. And, and, and here's, this is getting so personal. I'm a big fan of Pepto-Bismol. It is my favorite drug. And sometimes my husband will say, is it healthy that this is such a normal part of your routine? And I'm like, I'm sure it's fine. And having watched this, this documentary, I'm like, maybe your gut doesn't have to always be in this state of chaos that I'm not going to describe to our listeners. Maybe there is a different level of health that I can have. Maybe having some vegetables in the morning and not skipping all of my meals all day. Maybe these are good ideas. I feel like we should be talking about your digestive health on an ongoing basis because you don't have to live that way. And as much as the shareholders of Pepto-Bismol really want you to <laughs> never consider never consider abandoning use of their product. Which, you know, food poisoning is still a thing. I'm not getting rid of my Pepto. <laughs> do they have it in France? I I believe they do. And if they don't, it's just it's pink bismuth. I mean, I'm 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 fine with a generic brand too, but I'm good with generic ingredients. I will say brand it has to be the liquid because the, it's it's also the the placebo psychological effect of the knowing that it's going down and giving your your stomach this embraceive hug of it's going to be okay. So can I just give you strawberry ice cream instead? Hmm. Well, ice cream kind of triggers the problem, so I don't think that's going to be like so There's something there. There's something there. How about a vegan ice cream? I have considered being a, t a case study for you. I will say that. Okay, so let's draw this back to <laughs> moving to France. Right. Here's something I will say about France, which Damien and I were really surprised to find. We get we went to France for three months a year ago. We had this wonderful experience. I discovered the magic of French cheese, which is better than religion. For real. Then we took a surprise trip to London, or just kind of a random right. decision. And when we got off the metro or the, the train, the very first thing we were hit with was a wall of candy. We had not been hit with a wall of candy the entire three months we were in France. In France, there are fruit and vegetable stands in right. a metro. Like your brain is thinking, yeah, a tangerine sounds really good right now. Whereas when we were hit with the wall of candy, we're like, yeah, a cigarette sounds really good right now. It it's is all about product placement. It is. And like you walk around France, McDonald's is there, but it's not this massive sign in front of your face going, don't you want a burger right now? Like, right. that's how advertising that's works. Right. So the fact that we're not going to have 
that kind of aggressive advertising right there makes me feel like maybe in some small way I can run away from my problem because I'm literally walking into a culture that isn't set up to sabotage that particular aspect of my life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that that is definitely true. You will not go to an office supply store and be hit with a wall of candy um, or a gas station or, you know, all the things, all the things, right? We have so many cues in the States to eat when we're not hungry and we're so completely disconnected from our hunger and satiety mm. cues. Um, like people, there's just no, we don't generally eat from true hunger anymore. Well, when you very often. When you were helping me stop eating my feelings, I remember that one of the phases I had to go through was what does hunger feel like? I don't remember what hunger like is this hunger. I didn't I didn't even understand the signals of my body at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll find so out what yes. <laughs> so so in terms of, you know, the environment is very, very different in Europe. And, you know, if you if you want the processed foods, you can get the processed foods. They're probably slightly better. However, really, the big difference is is the environment. There is no rush to eat culture here. Lunch is a I mean, at least in Spain, lunch is a two hour event. If you're dining out, you're not eating at your unless you're an American or perhaps a Brit. You're not eating at your laptop, you know, in five minutes and then going back to work that that is not not encouraged here, not welcome here, frowned upon. Like it's just considered gross. I think, and it's that that it's not okay to do that. It's like it's an insult to the food. It's like they it's like they cherish the food and the the relationships that are happening, and it's an insult to both of those. In in France, they take that. I don't know if this is true in Spain. They take it a bit further, which is they don't walk around eating ever. Like the that's not here either. Yeah, it's it's only us expats that walk around with a coffee in our hand or or a pastry eating while we're going somewhere. That's we, not that's not a Spanish thing at all. We no, Americans are constantly eating. It's like we have an IV set up to the food system, and only the I would food argue, system. I would argue more that it isn't that necessarily we're constantly eating. It's that we don't value eating. We value doing other things and we fit in eating when our body forces us to. And we do it in the most convenient way that we can because we don't have time, energy, emotional bandwidth to do anything different because our entire culture is set up to turn us into overworked drones incapable of doing anything but clocking in, clocking out, shutting up with wine and Netflix at the end of the day because we can't handle we can't handle more of it. Which really takes us full circle. We're ranting on the, the internet <laughs> and canceling people. Yes. <laughs> it does take us full circle back to the beginning of this podcast because yes, it is about what we literally put into our mouths. But the choice quote, I'm that in quote, the choice of what we put into our mouths is influenced by so much more than can you buy kale at the grocery market? Right, oh. right. Obviously, we still are under, still under this impression that food is food and that you can just eat when you're hungry and you'll get nutrients and you'll be okay. But the reality is in the United States, 
probably since the 1980s, if not earlier, if you're not paying attention to your nutrition, what you're doing is you're creating your, your, your path of your path is disease. That is the inevitable outcome if you are not paying attention. You will, you will get disease. You will have disability. You will have a long, lengthy demise into death. And for, you know, my, my child's generation, his life expectancy among him and his peers in the United States is less than ours. And that's the first generation in multiple generations. Wow. And I don't know if it's since we've been recording this or, or almost that long where the children are not expected to outlive their parents. That's messed up. And that is because the path of least resistance is the path to disease. And that's just the trajectory that every American is going to be on unless they intentionally push back against it. You know, I can't remember if it was earlier in this episode or a different one we recorded. We talked about how systems that sometimes seem broken aren't. They're doing exactly what they were designed to do. And one mm-hmm. of the things that was in that same documentary they talked about how at World War II, they were having trouble recruiting people into the army because they were all undernourished and they were all too Yeah, sick. yeah. And so literally yep. the food system that was pushed was developed to deliver as many inexpensive calories as possible as literally a wartime effort to make sure that we had the people we needed to fight this war. But of course, so fascinating to me, didn't know that, makes total sense. And we created this machine, this, this industrial machine of getting cheap calories yeah. to people, but we never turned it off. Yeah. And, and then in the 70s, in the 70s, if I remember correctly, in the 70s, it was made worse because Nixon was up for reelection and he was not polling well with, the, with farmers and, and the agricultural sector. And so he changed... He changed agriculture to subsidize corn and 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 wheat and soy, I think, and to basically pay these farmers and support them financially as a political move. And then now we have, you know, high fructose corn syrup, which is more more dangerous than sugar for essentially free to to be used in all of our fucking food. <laughs> we think we think we're making choices. But it's just like when I read um, Bringing Up Bebe, the French book about raising a kid in America, yeah. I realized I remember my choice around having children or not having children. Yes, it was mine, but it was heavily informed by where I lived and how I grew up. So mm-hmm. it's interesting to peel back the layers of the onion behind our choices and realize we're being influenced. And the more we can recognize that influence, the more we can then make hopefully, other decisions about Rebecca's nutrition, she proves to parents. I will say that the fact that this is of concern to you makes it more likely that you will make some changes, right? And you, again, you're also not going to be in that culture that is rewarding you for locking yourself up behind the laptop. As soon as you get out and you see other people having a life and having fun with their lives and connecting, you you may long to do that too. We don't have examples of that in the States to draw from. <laughs> True. Yeah. So I'd say the takeaway that I would want to leave our listeners with is that feeling of if you're going to make this big lifestyle shift, be really thoughtful about what it is you're trying to change, but don't assume it's going to just happen by magic 
be intentional about creating the support system that's going to help you achieve that goal in your new situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's it for today. How would you like to leave people today? Hasta pronto, which means until soon. See you soon. And I will say, I'm going to skip my French today. We're going Italian. Ciao. Ah, ciao. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Bonjola. If you did, the best thing you can do is share it with another person brave enough to move abroad. See you next time.